Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, two years ago, I began what has become a birthday tradition. I went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium by myself. It turns out that if you go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium on your birthday and you walk up to the information desk and you tell them it is your birthday, they will be excited for you. And then they will ask you how you spell your name. And they'll pull out a Sharpie and an oversized pin with an adorable otter on it. And they'll draw a little birthday hat on the otter and write your name on the pin. I have two of those pins. One is on the cork board in my home office slash sewing nook, and the other lives on my backpack, helping me be ready for any adventure that might present itself. Well, this year, I wasn't able to make my way to California for my birthday, but I did the second best thing. Don't tell my children, but on Friday, I headed to the Cleveland Aquarium by myself. It turns out that if you tell them nicely that it's your birthday, they will also give you a pin. My new pin has a jellyfish on it, and it's been added to the collection. Well, as I was there Friday and lingering with the new octopus, feeding the stingrays, and sitting in front of the large shark tank, making a new Sabbath buddy with one of the black drum fish that's very large, it dawned on me. What if? Part of the reason, or even the reason, God rested on the seventh day of creation was that God wanted to take time to look at, to experience, and to live in the midst of the beauty of the world that God had created. The sun and the moon, the plants and the waters, the fish of the sea, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. After all, God had called it all good. Even humans. God created humankind in God's image and called them good. What if God just wanted to take a little time to experience all that goodness and that beauty, to rest in it? Well, we all know that things went a little downhill after the creation. And the Israelites, the descendants of these first humans, ended up being ruled over by a king who did not know their story and worried about them taking his power and his control. And so this king, in the first chapter of Exodus, sets taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And continuing through generations and a variety of rulers and pharaohs to overwork the people, making them labor without rest. The people cry out to God who hears them and raises up Moses, Moses who frees his people from oppression, leading them out into the wilderness. Now, as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, the Israelites aren't always so keen on living in the wilderness, but God continues to respond to meet the needs of God's people, sending them manna and water and even rules on how to live well together and in relationship with God. And then we get to this section of Exodus, and God decides, I'm going to build a home right in the middle of all of you. Now, to the modern reader, it might not sound all that impressive, but believe me when I say that this is notable. One scholar explains it this way. 
God leaves the mountain, the typical abode for gods in the ancient Near East, and comes to dwell among the people of God. God is not like the gods who remain often uncaring and oblivious to the troubles of the creatures. God leaves the mountain of remoteness and ineffable majesty and tabernacles lives right in the center of the human community. God decides to live in the midst of the very humans that God calls good, even though they have big time fallen short of who God has created them and called them to be. So then we get chapter upon chapter in which there are instructions for the building of this tabernacle, how it will be made, from what it will be made, how many cubits high and wide it shall be, and with what precious materials it will be created. Again, might not sound all that exciting to the modern reader, but it does give a visual for those of us who couldn't be there, a real concrete understanding that God wanted to be with the people. And it's a thing of beauty. And the vestments of the priests who preside over it, gorgeous. There are intricate textiles and carvings and numbers of pillars. This is not something that can be created by human hands in mere days, and so enters in our reading for this morning. Now, this reading that Carmen read is not super easy to listen to. You will die if you do not rest on the Sabbath. That's hard to hear. And it's quite different from the five chapters of the detailed building instructions that preceded it. But don't worry, here comes theologian Walter Brueggemann to the rescue, helping us understand the violation of the Sabbath is not as innocuous as it seems. This text evidences anxiety that any violation of Sabbath as obedient work stoppage means being seduced by the production values and rewards of Pharaoh, which will predictably end in slavery. Thus, profaning the Sabbath means jeopardizing all that is most precious and definitional about Israel's existence in the world and its loyalty to Yahweh. See, God decided from the get-go who God would be, how God would be, and it turns out that that is very different than the earthly kings and rulers who come to take charge and dominion over God's people. God is pointing out in this text that God is so very different than Pharaoh. Pharaoh has decided that the worth of these children of God depends on what they can do, what they can lift, what they can produce. It's as though God is saying, I'm not Pharaoh. I don't care about the number of bricks you make in a day. I have given you instructions on how to build my tabernacle, but a part of those instructions is resting every seventh day because I know we all need rest. I don't need you to prove that you can build the tabernacle faster if you didn't have breaks. That's not the point. This is a different kind of system we've got going on here. See, God lives here with us and does not believe that our worth has anything to do with our bank account or the kind of car we drive or the vacations we take or the neighborhoods we live in or the number of hours we work. God created us and called us good from the start. And God wants to spend time dwelling in this beautiful and beloved 
creation with us. With us. Sabbath, Brueggemann writes, is an urgent check on the ideology of productivity. If the goal of life is, as in the previous chapters of Exodus, the presence of God, then it is clear that a life committed to endless productivity is empty of the promise of God and cut off from the powers of holiness. Such a life violates the very fabric of creation. Can we just sit with that for a moment? A life committed to endless productivity violates the very fabric of creation. One of the things that I've been doing lately, which in some ways started out as a way to check off an item on a very long and nebulous to-do list of mine, is that I've been listening to the book Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants by Robin Wall Kimmerer. As her bio reads, Wall Kimmerer is a mother, scientist, decorated professor, and an enrolled member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. I say this was a part of my to-do list because I've been wanting to read this book for quite some time. You see, my mother instilled in me from a young age a respect for indigenous people and stories, as well as a curiosity and a desire to learn more about the people, spirituality, and the lands upon which we now live. I've heard so many people rave about this book, and I knew I would love it, but life and a large pile of other books kept getting in the way. But then recently, it occurred to me, maybe there's an audiobook of this one. And I thought, oh, I could listen to it while folding laundry and stitching a new quilt and going on those morning walks I've been avoiding. And so I started listening to the author read her own words, and it has become a Sabbath practice for me. Her words have slowed me down and invited me to rest in the beauty of the world, the profound holiness of the ordinary world we live in along with the divine. This book is a gathering of essays, one of which is about her struggling to learn the Potawatomi language. She writes of attending a class for which there was a great deal of excitement. For the first time, every single fluent speaker in our tribe would be there as teacher, she says. Nine, nine fluent speakers in the whole world. She goes on to describe how hard it is for her to learn the language, not just the vocabulary, but the grammar. To whom does our language extend the grammar of animacy, she writes. Animacy referring to how sentient or alive something is. Naturally, plants and animals are animate, she continues, but as I learn, I am discovering that the Potawatomi understanding of what it means to be animate diverges from the list of attributes of a living being we all learned in Biology 101. In Potawatomi 101, rocks are animate, as are mountains, and water, and fire, and places. Beings that are imbued with spirit, our sacred medicine, our songs, drums, and even stories, are all animate. The list of the inanimate seems to be smaller, filled with objects that are made by people. Of an inanimate being, like a table, we say, what is it? 
and we answer, dope when ye way, table it is. But of an apple, we must say, who is that being? And reply, Mishman Yahweh. Apple is that being. Yahweh, Y-A-W-E, the animate to be. I am, you are, she, he is. To speak of those possessed with life and spirit, we must say Yahweh. By what linguistic confluence, she asked, do Yahweh of the Old Testament, Y-A-H-W-E-H, and Yahweh of the New World both fall from the mouths of the reverend? Isn't this just what it means to be? To have the breath of life within? To be the offspring of creation? When I listened to that section of the book, I was walking home from the grocery store with a shelf-stable tub of icing in my hand, which is like totally the opposite of everything she's talking about in this book. And I must have looked ridiculous because I came to a full stop with my mouth gaping open. <gasps> Isn't that just what it means to be? To have the breath of life within, to be the offspring of creation? Isn't it amazing that when the Holy Spirit shows up, she can both take your breath away and breathe into you new life? A refreshment of life, of soul, of self. What it means to be, to have the breath of life within, to be the offspring of creation. Our Genesis story tells us that God breathed life into the first humans, these offspring of creation. And God, after finishing all the pieces of creation, rested. And was refreshed. The author of Hebrews makes it clear in his sermon that the rest has been promised and is available still to us all. Initially, this rest was a place, a land of their own. And in this sermon, he, the, the Hebrews is, this understanding shifts to a concept beyond land, toward a condition in which we participate with God. As one commentator writes, rest now becomes a synonym for salvation, the presence of God now and in the future. In this rest, it's open to all of us, to you and to me. God invites us into this refreshment, into this time to rest in the beauty of creation and God's presence. Now, for ages and ages, God has been trying to tell us, to convince us, that this idol of productivity is killing us. It is killing us. We may live longer than any generation before us, but this idol is not what gives us life. It's God. God who breathes into us this life and through rest refreshes us. Your worth God says, does not lie in your ability to produce minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day. Now, don't get me wrong, your work, whatever it may be, is important. The work we do within our own person and interpersonally and community, it matters and it makes a difference. But that is not the sum total of our work. And honestly, we couldn't get to that work, or at least be very effective in it, without relationships. Without creating, building, maintaining, and renewing our relationships with God and with our neighbor. Rest, 
Brueggemann says, is not just recuperation for the next day's work, but it is the goal and the climactic event of all creation, the point of it all. Friends, it's the rhythm that God knew was necessary for both God and for us, a rhythm that includes taking time to believe that rest is important and to believe that God's love is freely given and that God makes a home here with us. So I want to leave you with a challenge today. I want you to seriously think about and maybe even make a plan for a place or a time or a way in which you are going to set aside time to rest in the beauty of God's creation and God's presence. Now, it will look different for each of us. <laughs> it might look like carving out a few hours to wander around the art museum, or maybe it looks like taking a walk in the woods. It might be savoring the words of your favorite poet, or painting a mountain landscape, or just really enjoying a quiet moment as you sip that first sip of coffee. And as you do it, whatever it is, remember that you don't need to prove anything to anybody to have God join you in that moment. So seriously, there are some cards in your bulletin this morning. There should be two of them. And if you don't have any, we'll find you a piece of paper. But the next moments of this service, I want you to really think about this question that's at the bottom of the sermon. How will you slow down and take time to renew your relationship to God? We hope that you will write it twice on your cards, one for you to keep and one for you to pass in in the offering basket or however you get it to us. We are going to take these ideas, these ways in which you are finding rest, and we're going to use them to transform these clocks. So as you think about this, remember, isn't this just what it means to be? To have the breath of life within? To be the offspring of creation? Alleluia and amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.